We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to the Golden Blogs podcast, The Bearcast, where we talk about your 15th ranked California Golden Bears, the only undefeated team left in the Pac-12, the only hope for the Pac-12 to make the college football playoffs. That's a joke there. Um, And here we are. My name is Rob Wong. I'm one of the co-hosts with my other co-host, Andy Johnston. How are you feeling, Andy? Uh, It's hard not to be feeling great right now. Not only did we just win the softball championship tonight for the second time, so back-to-back championships, but more importantly, Cal is number 15 in the country. Uh, they beat Ole Miss on the road. Uh, looks like we have a quarterback. Um, not even looks like definitely has been solidified. So um, things look things are fantastic. How about you? I'm feeling great. Um, 15 seems a little bit high. Uh, Doesn't it? Doesn't we, it? We can talk about it in a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, some housekeeping. Um, I don't believe there's any other than some recruiting stuff with uh, Colin Gamble, who just committed to us with a pretty cool video, in my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, there he's on our commit list, and he adds more depth to a DB group that probably needs it um, going into next season. He probably also has a shot to play next year too if he performs well. So. I think that's it for there. So let's just dive right into it. Um, I'll give you down. I'll give the folks the lowdown on what happened in Oxford, Mississippi. Excuse me. Number 23, California takes on Old Miss in uh, Oxford, Mississippi at Vaught Hemingway Stadium. The Bears beat the Rebels 28 to 20, led behind the four touchdowns of Chase Garbers. Garbers was 23 of 35 with the four touchdowns and interception with 357 yards throwing. His longest was a 60-yard touchdown pass to tight end Jake Tonjes, who ended the day with uh, three catches and 88 yards on four targets, along with the touchdown. Jordan Duncan, the Mississippi native, returned to his home state with five receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown. A very impressive toe-touching, toe-tapping, whatever touchdown that was. It was a great catch. And, of course, the other two going to Chris Brown Jr. and Trayvon Clark. Um, defensive stats for you here Evan Weaver with uh, 22 total tackles 11 solo and 11 assisted half a sack and half a tackle for loss Coin Deng with nine total tackles um, 1.5 sacks and 1.5 tackles for loss Evan Weaver also had two QB hurries some uh, big team stats uh, would be that the Bears converted 50% of their third downs with six of 12 from third down and also scored uh, three out of three in the red zone opportunities all three being touchdowns and that's it. That's the basic box score right there. So we should just dive into our points. And so here we go, Andy, your first point of the night. Okay. So first point of the night. Well, um, as everyone knows, I spent a significant portion of last week's podcast kind of talking about some concerns that we had out of our quarterback position. So it's time for me to go on my apology train, which I'll be running till the end of this week. And then I think I'll be over it. But um, so the first uh, thing I just want to talk about was Chase in, in this game. So 
I thought he had an excellent game. Uh, I thought he made fantastic reads. He kept his eyes downfield more than I can remember uh, seeing in the first three games. And that kept defenders in their spots longer, which allowed receivers to get open. Um, it was going through his progressions rather than just making his first read and then tucking the ball and running. It was awesome. Uh, he was throwing much faster. Uh, it honestly seemed like the coaches said what we kind of hoped and what we said in the podcast, which is, you know, we trust you and just put the ball out there. Um, and so much so like Justin Wilcox actually said, they said on the broadcast that he's got to start playing like he practices. And I think that speaks right into what you kind of touched on last week, Rob. So um, maybe Chase listens to the podcast. Who knows? Uh, if he does, great job. You played fantastic. And um, I think the sidearm delivery was really accurate today. So that's the only thing that I could kind of pinpoint and sort of say, um, you know, be wary of it just because some of those sidearm, sidearm deliveries like were right on the money. And if that keeps up, great. If it, you know, kind of goes back to where it was before where he was kind of overthrowing receivers, then, you know, some concerns. But best pass of the day, um, to me, wasn't even close, was the – I think it was an out that Duncan ran. I'm not totally positive, but that sideline throw was just perfect. And Jordan Duncan just – I mean, the ball found him, and that's exactly what you would want a quarterback to be doing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Clap it up. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, for – I'll just say this. I think – with the whole notion of like, he has to start playing like he does in practice, like that I feel vindicated. I feel vindicated that my eyes weren't deceiving me when I was watching him in practice um, myself and trace. We all said that he looked the best uh, people questioned whether uh monster was really like that bad. It wasn't that monster was bad. It was just chase was in better command of the offense. And I think you saw that especially on Saturday, you saw monster taking or not monster, sorry, Garber's, um, when you watch the game in a little bit, you know, in a play-by-play type of motion or notion rather than, you know, in real life game time, you see him grab receivers, move them, like tell them you're still on for this play. He places him in the right spots, tells the running back um, when he shifts an audible and the running back's moving, he says, no, 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 you're, you're back on this side. Yeah. He feels, it feels like he knows, like that's what we've seen all throughout practice. He knows what he's doing. And you saw that translate the most on this particular Saturday. Whether it was because Modster was eligible and we saw him come in and and, uh, throw a pass as well for 16 yards, maybe it was that. Maybe it was his back's against the wall and he he realizes, hey, this is is my do-or-die moment. And he just went out there and he – and the game plan also, I think, worked perfectly in his favor uh, where it was just a you have to pass for us to win. Like this isn't one one of those games like North Texas game last week where with your feet or with like the running back, like somehow we can, we can get this win out. No, this was, they were stopping our run game and they were selling out to stop our run game. And they were saying, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us by passing the ball. And Garbers came out and did exactly that. My point that I wrote down um, that has to do with Garbers is Garbers was spectacular. Mechanics were great. Um, there were some sidearm throws, but most of if you I went back and rewatched most of his throws, and a lot of them were solid mechanics. Um, great, right over the shoulder, kept the ball high, pats the ball a couple times, um, and just goes through his reads and then just quick fires. And so his decisions were great, and the ball came out of his hands really quick. And so I think if if this is a game to build on. And this is like the turning point for Garbers. Man, what a way to pronounce yourself to the fan base and to basically shut up all of the people that, um, all the naysayers, basically. Um, whether that be guys who wrote or or just the fans talking. Uh, but man, he he absolutely balled out. And it's, it's crazy because the exact same plays that we had in North Texas and with wide receivers open, Garbers was hesitant to throw to those guys. Some of those exact same plays were in the Ole Miss game and Garbers rips it and just nails the passes down to get um, the multiple, multiple yards. The the thing for me with Garbers that was very impressive to say the least was on his third downs pretty early in the game. Our Avi uh, tweeted this out. Um, 
during the game. But he said Chase Garbers has converted a third and eight for 10 yards, a third and 12 for 24 yards, a third and 10 for a 13-yard touchdown, a third and 10 for 43 yards, and a third and 14 for 15 yards. So Cal was one of the one of the worst third third down converting teams in the nation, and at the at the point of this tweet, they were five of seven on the day. Yeah, and what does that say? What does that say about the offense, though? The offense as a whole. Yeah, because to me, like I could hear you say something like that and have a key takeaway that would, you know, I would have a my like instinct would be that uh, that the running game was pretty ineffective you know if we're kind of like constantly in those positions where we're getting like those really long kind of third down plays then we're not really executing on first and second which is great I just think that you know there might be some sustainability questions um, that arise from that like your ideal offense isn't you know it's uh, something Dykes talked about this a lot was like it's getting manageable third downs um and so well, I think like it was great to see us convert at that level, but you know, is, can we sustain that over time? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, and I'll, I'll go on to my second point before I toss it back to you is my other point was basically on that. Um, and what I wrote was Ole Miss team that are passing game was unsustainable throughout the entire game. They doubled down against our run. Garbers continued to throw, but Baldwin ran enough running plays um, with, like the two, three yard gain, just enough to keep the old Miss team honest against our entire offense. And I mean, let's think, let's, let's put our shoes in the old Miss coaching staff's shoes. All right. You're watching four, three weeks worth of Cal game tape and the passing game is nowhere to be seen in those three games. All right. You're, you, ha- it looked like a quarterback who's afraid to throw. So if you're game planning for this Cal team, what do you do? You basically say, hey, if we stop their run and we force them to throw, it's going to be our game because yeah. the quarterback is not throwing well um, and they have two running backs that are really good. But if we can if we can bottle them up and just take away their run game and force them to throw on us, I I mean, if I was a defensive coordinator, if I was Mac, Mike McIntyre, I'd, I'd, I'd like my chances at that and just say, hey, we're just going to stop their run. And we're not expecting them to throw great. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and, but then, of course, I'm sure the Cal staff knew this um, and basically went to Chase and was like, we're basically not going to win this game unless you throw the ball. Um, and he came out and he slang. So that's why I think the unsustainability thing, yeah, there's, there's some aspects of the game that were, that's unsustainable. But then at the same time, if they have, if they're stacking the box with seven or eight guys constantly, with like one linebacker on a QB spy, and you know the the outside linebackers just running out to a zone in the flat, and just setting the edge that way, and just forcing us when we're running just to go up the middle at their pretty big defensive line. Was, I I think this played exactly as I expected them to. Their defensive line was going to stop a run, and they that's statistically that's where they've been the most successful from the old Miss defense. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I think um, happened. And we just, it wasn't a chess game per se, but it was just uh, an execution and a gamble that paid off for us in the long term. weirdly. Yeah. I think what you're highlighting is the fact that like, you're right. They executed against the game plan super well. So you might you could point to like the sustainability of it, but ultimately, if it's just executing with against what the defense is giving you, then um, you know, yeah, I think that's a great point. I I also uh, actually this flows really well into my second point, which was uh, I thought this was like one of Bo Baldwin's better, if not best, called games. I think it's uh, his best one. Yeah, I mean, I thought that touchdown to Trevin. Uh, Trevin Clark was unreal. That play design was awesome. The play action that and he just, you know, f- was totally freed up. Um, so I really think that this game was, you know, I also think that call was the call that we've been looking for for so long, you know, like, uh, you know, taking advantage of the play action. So all in all, I think Bo Baldwin uh, definitely gets a big, big win on this one for, yeah, I mean, just beating a really good defense. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, you talk about Mike McIntyre. He didn't have just have three game tapes. He had a full game against this Cal offense where our defense won us that game. So he had experience kind of shutting down our offense. And, uh, you know, and then obviously all of his intel being a Pac-12 head coach. So that's not an easy task. And so for Cal to come out and, um, you know, do something different than what we did against UCLA last year. Uh, it was really, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't – Bo Baldwin's thing was that he wasn't conservative today, right? Like, he would call pass plays on third down, and we've been clamoring for that all season long. Like, it would be like we'd be, we'd be in third and ten, and then he would call up a, an art, like a read option or a, or a draw um, to the to the running back. And it was just like, what are we doing? Like, we need to gain yards. We need to start marching down the field. But finally he started being a little bit more aggressive in his play calling and was like, all right, it's third and 10. We're like on our own 15-yard line. We're going to pass. And then Chase converts it. And then we go a little bit tempo. And we get, and we get more yards. Like, the first – I mean, there's not much – There's we don't need to go further than the first drive of the game. Like – Chase Garber's pass complete to Dancy for two yards. Chase Garber's pass complete to Crawford for 11 yards. Chase Garber's pass complete to Crawford for 17 yards. Dancy runs for three yards. Garber's pass to Remigio for 15 yards. Garber's pass incomplete to uh, Remigio. Chris Brown runs for two yards. Garber's pass complete to Brown for 10 yards. Uh, Garber's rush for four yards. Garber's pass complete to Trayvon Clark, six yards, touchdown. Like... Yeah, unreal. That's first drive of the year easily and maybe of the last two years. Um, we scored and, on both our opening drives for both halves. Yeah. Like that's, that's unheard of. And I think, you know, I wanted to ask you this. Like, are we finally seeing, like, are we seeing the benefits of Bo Baldwin as play caller and QB coach? I mean, it's tough after just one game, but if we're going off of this, yes. I mean, maybe finally he feels comfortable being able to open up and call everything with his offense and with all of his guys. I mean, the thing that the 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 sunshine pumper like hopeful guy in every game is is with especially with this offense is just saying, hey, we got to give these guys time. Like they got to get they got to gel. They got to play more games together. We basically changed out our entire skill group right like the running backs have changed and the wide receivers have totally changed and now with an actual quarterback not a two qb two qb system but with one guy cemented like he needs to be able to build up some of that repertoire and some of those little tiny intangible things with his wide receivers and i think maybe we're finally seeing that maybe we're finally seeing the just the just the normal progression of how things are excuse me things are supposed to go where guys get better as they get experience Oh my goodness, say it ain't so. Like that it's it's prone to happen. Um, I mean, I just don't know if we can sustain it going into however many games, but I mean, this is probably the most hopeful this fan base has been in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be telling to I don't want to get in too much into this, but it'll be telling to see kind of what crowd shows up on Friday. Yeah, yeah. And we can definitely talk about that um towards the end of the show. Let me uh, get my negative points out. Go for it. Sweet. So back to negative. I got, an, I, got a neg- I got a negative point too, so just toss me it and I'll toss back. Great. I really didn't like the decision to punt with 325 left in the third quarter. Uh, you had the team, them reeling, reeling as a defense. Was uh, that the fourth and one? It was like the play, the third down play that it might have even been the monster play where uh, they, uh, we, yes. we gained like – you know, an unexpected like 15 and it was like super close. Yeah. I think it was probably like fourth and two or something like that. Um, anyways, it was obviously we decided to punt the ball, punt the ball. And, uh, I can't remember if it's coots or not who kicked it, but it like bounced at the 25 bounced backwards and, or like the 20 and bounced back to the 25. So it was like a gain of 15 yards and which is just, you know, nothing. And then on top of it, uh, you had this opportunity to get points on the board and the game's three scores. Like you had a 51 yard or one yard field goal, which we know Greg Thomas is money, but you know, within 40. So like, I think that might've should, should have been on the table. It just, and then like 
yeah, you get that first down, you put points up on the board, even if it's just a field goal, it's a three score game and none of that ending happens, you know? Um, and now we have two games where we've had big leads. We've frozen up we bled clock and barely won at the end. And I, you know, there's concerns for me a little bit in that um, we get really conservative. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Uh, you know, is this a strategy that you like and am I allowed to complain when we're four and I think it's a viable complaint because we're talking about the sustainability of consistently winning. Right. And when it comes down to that, everything is scrutinizable. Like we, we got to look at every single thing and be like, is that is if we're, let's say we're winning on like, you know, 50 yard touchdown passes from Garbers every game. Like, is that sustainable? Like we, <laughs> no matter, no matter if we're like four and or not, like it's just, it's just things we got to be able to look at. And yeah, I think definitely, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the play by play here and I, I'm looking at it. And so we were on the old miss 38. It was fourth and five. And Stephen Coots punts the ball. This is actually the funny part because this is where Old Miss called the timeout. So Monster passes to Hawkins for 16 yards, gets out of bounds at the 38. That right. was on a that was on third and 21. So then we get into their half, and then Old Miss calls the timeout. And this timeout is the one that comes to bite them in the butt. And Ryan Leaf on top of it was like. Yeah, I might as well burn the timeout because uh, you won't even need them. You know, you never really need them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh. The end happened. I was like, boy, that wasn't a good call, Mister Leaf. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ryan definitely couldn't have called how the game was going to end. But if you're, if you're the, if you're the team of the losing, if you're the head coach of the losing team, like the one thing you don't want to burn easily are the timeouts. Like you want to save them as much as possible, just in the case of like what happens is you you somehow get it close and you get it within one score and you need those timeouts whether it's on the drive or case in point is what happened on that that third down uh, with 18 seconds left to go um, and we can talk about that that whether it was a touchdown and stuff um, towards the end I think that's a good thing to end on yeah, for sure um, yeah I guess my negative point was that the DB struggled to tackle. It was very weird. Yeah. Um, they took the right angles, but they took maybe too low leverage at times. They also had three interception opportunities that I could count, um, including one in the fourth from Ashton that probably would have sealed the game, but he just couldn't get, they just couldn't convert any of those uh, interceptions, interception opportunities. But yeah, it was, it was very strange for, for us to like, it was the opposite feeling, right? Remember when we used to watch Jared Goff and we used to watch that offense run and we used to just sit there and, and our we'd be so relaxed, right? Like we would we just know that barring like a some some crazy thing happening, they're gonna march down the field um pretty pretty easily. That was that's how we feel about our offense and our DBs and everyone making tackles now. But then there was this weird feeling of like, like Jalen Hawkins misses a tackle like Travion Beck misses a tackle Cameron Bynum misses a tackle and it was like oh like is what what is going on like why are these guys not wrapping these guys up properly and some of them were just just freak ones where they made good contact but he would the wide receiver or the running back would just somehow squeeze out of it and gain those get the extra yards but I don't think it's a point of concern but it was definitely a point of interest for me watching the game and how they never kind of figured out like what was going on. Cause they seemed to struggle to tackle even the whole game. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you could make a case that there's fatigue involved and we're running out, you know, the same guys and not getting into our too deep as much as we possibly sh should be because we, you know, have to have them out there in a game like North Texas. And, you know, there, some of that stuff adds up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely noticeable that the defense, like it was really weird uh, to, because like you had this, the lapse sort of at the beginning and it was like, Oh, this isn't going to be as much of a defensive battle as we thought. And then the third quarter we dominated, like absolutely dominated them. Um, and then the fourth quarter, you kind of had those freak plays with like Plumlee uh, who kind of came in and, you know, it was like Tim Tebow. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm so, yeah. That, that, that was probably a, uh, 
that's probably one of the things too as a coaching staff they just did not prep for like they i believe he's a freshman um, yeah and and the the cool the cool fact there is that he actually played with jordan duncan at that high school where brett Favre coached um, when jordan duncan was a senior there and uh, Plumley was a freshman on the team jordan duncan played both sides of the ball he played db and he actually played db with Plumley. Um, so they have they have a connection there, and there's a picture of the two two of them hugging after the game, which I thought was a, a really cool moment. Um, but yes, continue. Yeah, I mean it was just one of those. Uh, I do think it you know it reminded me in a really weird way of the Rubenzer plays from the Northwestern game. Um, when you know, when you just yeah you just sort of had Carroll really like locked up like locked down, and then it's just like this freak like rib injury they weren't going anywhere they're like barely struggling to get first downs you know they barely converted that fourth down play and then you just get this like fresh fresh legs in the game it's gone like and boy was he fast um so it was wild it was wild to see them struggle in that way and uh, i agree the tackling was was pretty front and center but um i mean still they still don't give up any points it's you know, it's an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. Um, I'll go on to another point of mine that's uh, – I think it's like half negative, half positive. Um, so the big thing with the the defense was that, one, they didn't have the bodies. Cameron Good and Tevin Paul and Ben Hochschreiter and Chinadu were all ruled out on uh, with a game-time decision. Chinadu actually was just announced today by Wilcox at – uh, media availability that he will be out for the remainder of the season with a lower body injury. Um, the other three guys they're hoping um, will be back. Wilcox actually kind of explained to the media today about, you know, cause you know, we, they keep, we keep asking questions about like, is he back? Is he back? Or is he coming back? Is he coming back? And he basically explained like the, the sports medicine team will tell him every single day if they're able to go or not. Sometimes it, it's even up to a game time decision, which I think is what happened with, with Cam Good and Hawkshrider and um, Tevin Paul, because the three of them practiced. Three of them, I believe, were suited up and on the sidelines. So I, I think they're close to coming back if they're if they were that close and it was a game time decision, which is great going into Pac-12 play to have those guys back after basically taking two weeks off. Um, but the thing was, our interior defensive line is still an issue. And running between the tackles from the um, opponents is still – and stopping them is a is a big thing. We kind of masked over it in the Ole Miss game because when I was looking at the tape, what we would do is we would sit our DBs back far. That's why you saw a lot of the passes getting complete to the outside for you know 8 to 13 yards because our cornerbacks were basically saying – you're not going to be this deep. Like we're going to keep everything in front of us. And because our interior defensive line struggled with run defense, we would have to put one of the safeties uh, basically down into the box and get that additional help in. And that's, I think that's why they put the, the corners back so far. Plus we also know our corners can, can defend guys on an Island. So you have that, luxury of being able to do that and that's why you saw Jalen Hawkins make a crap ton of tackles today um, and also miss a bunch as well but yeah um, that's it's just a point um, to to look at going forward whether you know getting the edge edge guys back maybe help set the edge and also help in in that run game um, defense but that's to be seen and we'll I guess we'll get a better look at it come Friday yeah definitely Definitely. So how did we get here? You know, like, can we do a quick recall of the Dykes era and why this feels so different? And then like what a season kind of like what we're having could sort of set up this program for in the future. I mean, in in what sense? Well, I think, you know, ultimately is this the type of season where, I mean, I, so I personally think that if Cal, let's say, wins the nine games that originally had us winning um, and you sort of get the team on the you know, national stage and top 15, 
you're probably looking at DeRoyder getting poached, Baldwin leaving for a head coaching gig, and then somebody maybe coming after Wilcox as well. Do you think that the program is set up now where you have these heir apparents where it's like, you know, you have the foundation for Cal to be consistently good going into the, you know, 2020 and beyond? Or, um, you know, is it the opposite where Dyke sort of leaves town and we needed a full system reset outside of, you know, maybe promoting SPAV to being head coach or wasn't really that person that we had internally that was like, okay, you know, this is the foundation that has been laid. Now we can just continue to build upon it. I think it's, I think it's a ladder in my eyes, just because um, I guess we can kind of bleed this into some fan questions or listener questions that we had. But um, uh, I guess before I answer your question, do you have any other comments about this game in particular? Cause I, I want, I do want to move on to like, what this win meant and you know the the bigger picture going forward and you brought up a great point of the future of it and i think it's a good topic uh but any other remaining like uh what's it smaller questions or comments about the game i see it dismissing my fourth point eh okay (laughs) all right um my only last point about the game was like, let's just talk about how ridiculous Evan Weaver is. He had 12 tackles in the first half with two QB hurries. He had the game-saving tackle, 22 tackles by the end of it. Uh, he packed 12 defensive player of the week again. And also, like, his shit-talking game is an A+. <laughs> Pretty much. So, Bears uh, in four, baby. Bears in four. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. He's, he's awesome. And uh, I love the stuff that they talked about how, like, it seemed like he was, you know, he plays in an era like 1989. It's just, uh, it's just ridiculous how lucky, lucky we are to have this guy. Um, and boy, I'm just like consistently telling myself, like, take all of, you know, give me all the injuries. I can deal with it. Just stay healthy. <laughs> Please. Um, and then I guess my last point on that, um, kind of subject is that the O-line depth is a bit of a worry because we have to move often back to um, outside linebacker and he played outside linebacker right away. But then at the same time, knowing those guys got game experience and knowing that Tevin Paul and Cam Good are not out due to season long injuries and that they were practicing and they were suited up. This actually bodes well for us later on because now you have guys that have game experience and can play in games even though the games might be more intense within conference and more on the line, these guys have been there now. These guys have played um, significant amount of snaps in key moments of a, of a tight game. And they're going to be able to spell these guys when need be. And now as a coaching staff, you also have that trust because you saw them perform and saw that, saw them get that game experience in, uh, especially against an SEC opponent like this. So this actually kind of really worked in our favor um, where we don't have our starters, but they're not out for the whole year. The backups got plenty of game time and they're young too. So it's just a total like distribute a great distribution of experience and uh, play time. Sure. I think everything that uh, Steve Greatwood believes in of switching guys in and out of different positions and everybody, you know, learning every bit of, the offensive line, like it's super helpful. Uh, it, you've seen sort of the dividends of it. I thought the O line played really well in you know the first half of the game. I mean, just mainly mainly in pass blocking, like pass protection was really solid. Uh, like Garbers had a ton of time on a lot of those throws, and that's a really tough defensive front that um, you know Ole Miss has. So all in all, I was like really impressed. I know we didn't run the ball well and we weren't getting the best push up front on some of those plays, particularly at the end of the game for what we have up there and the injuries we've seen, like particularly losing somebody like Will Craig and then having Deltoso be out. It's been, they've exceeded expectations. So it's been great. All right. Let's go back to that question that you had. All right. About what this, what this means. Here's my take on it is God forbid let's say Wilcox leaves God forbid Tim DeRoyder leaves which I think is in the realm of possibility a lot higher than other other things 
Now let's say Bill Baldwin leaves. I think <laughs> mass exodus. Goodness. Yeah. Um, just for the sake of the argument, because if one of our coordinators stays, I'm pretty sure it's it's pretty easy to push one of them up to the head coaching position. Um, if Wilcox were to leave, but let's just say the top three guys are gone, then you got to replace with from within. It makes the most sense. Um, that you would want to keep this consistency of a defensive-minded team and a defensive-minded head coach going, the easiest person to to put into the head coach slot would be Peter uh, would be Coach Sermon. He was a head coach, um, and he is labeled as the associate head coach. So that I think that that plugs in right away. He brings the same type of mentality. It's coaching inside linebackers. It it's perfect, um, in my opinion. Then from defensive coordinator, I think you have to move GA into there, right? It makes the most sense um, for him to to be pushed up into that slot. And I think he's probably going to be pretty good at it, in my opinion. Offensively, I don't think there's anyone there that could take over that. I don't, I don't think Greatwood's, you know, Greatwood's probably towards the end of his career where he doesn't want to make another, you know, jump up and, and have more duties. I think coaching O-line is his thing. Where does that leave us? It leaves us with Tui. It leaves us with Pearl Toller, and it leaves us with Nick Edwards. I don't think any of three of those guys are offensive coordinator material. So Sermon would probably have to bring in another guy, which all in all might not be a bad thing. But yeah, I, I think that's that's the route you go if all three were to be poached. The big thing is is how you end this season because the way you end this season, I think determines our recruiting determines like our name having more value as a football program and, and brings that name value of Cal football back to prominence again, like it was back in the two thousands. And we, we desperately need to get back to that point. But as Wilcox and the team has said, like rankings right now really don't matter. Um, it, it only matters where you're ranked at the end of the season. And if we're ranked in the top 15 by the end of the season and, you know, let's, we, I mean, we don't even have to win the PAC 12 North. We don't even have to win the PAC 12 championship game. Like let's say we end second in the PAC 12 North and we somehow end up in the, you know, top 18 ish in, in the nation. Like, dude, that that's a significant win considering where we were just three, four years ago. And how much Sonny Dykes did a great thing of uplifting the program out of the, the tail end of Tedford's career, but then Wilcox to be able to turn it around and, and manufacture that in three years. Absolutely incredible. Um, but at the same time, I, here's the thing on Wilcox is I don't believe he'd, he'd leave. He got the opportunity to go to Oregon and he said, no, he said, this is the place I want to be. And, you can read that in the Mike Silver uh, Q&A we did for Big Game Week and the, that backstory of how um, Mike Silver was contacted by Wilcox that basically put out there like, yeah, I don't want to leave. This is the place I want to be at. And if, if he was able to spurn his alma mater and Oregon, <laughs> like the, the recruiting advantages and the support you get from a school like that, there's not a – and he's from the West Coast too. Like I don't think – Offering him a head coaching position in the Midwest or on the East Coast is going to be is going to be enticing him enough to leave. Um, and I think he's here. I legitimately think he's here for the long haul. That's, yeah, me too. That's my take. I, I think so too. I think it's it's good conversation. I uh, you know I mean I I sort of saw I saw uh, some of our travelers hates Thursdays guys tweeted out. You know, how is Wilcox not, like, number one on Messi's target list right now? That's an interesting one, and I think it's probably the only one that I would be concerned with. But Helton might pull off his usual 8-4 and four season and uh, save himself one more year. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's the only one that I could see you sort of have the same attributes that you mentioned with Oregon, and then he already has ties there. Um, I personally think he seems really happy in Berkeley. Uh, it's been very like to throw it all the way back to the Dykes era. We heard about how Sonny said, this is a, you know, sleeping giant at Cal. And we've sort of seen Wilcox go in 
lean into this and turn this program into what we all sort of had seen it been back in the days of, of Tedford. Um, so I, yeah, do I see him leaving after building all this momentum here and, and really setting us up for, you know, success and battling in the top four positions in the Pac-12 for the next few years? Nope. But you never know, man. Um, it's always one of those things we want to be aware of. I think it's interesting. GA is, uh, as D coordinator, I did not think of. Sermon as head coach sort of is there. I do think, you know, DeRoyter would probably be my first choice um, if he was not to have, you know, to leave. And I don't know about Baldwin because he's so offensively minded. I like would be kind of confused about where the identity of the program would be headed. Um, yeah, that's why I, I wouldn't put Baldwin in the, the head coaching spot because you've built – you've gave Wilcox three years to build this identity. Uh, if he were to leave, you're going to flip that right back to an offensive coach. Like, it makes no sense in terms of how you build a brand. And I don't think Nolan's that dumb to be able to look at it and go, okay, yeah, let's just let's just throw him in there because he's the only guy that's left out of the three guys that are there. Like, he's going he's gonna to try and make sure that this brand that Wilcox has created over three years continues. Totally agree. Um, so we have some fan questions um, about you know the football season and beyond. So let's let's take a look. We got one that says uh, it's there's two that I kind of want to merge into one. Um, so it's one that was can you go through the rest of the schedule and give us your predictions? And the other one was do you think Cal is a legit eight and four nine and three team or have they just been lucky so far? So. Um, I don't know. Do you do you want to do you want to go first on that? Cloud nine wins, baby. Been there all year. Uh, I think I dropped it down to seven plus one, so eight. I still think we're eight nine win team. Um, we're gonna get the loss somewhere where we're not seeing it. So I keep coming into this, and I'm like, is Arizona State a loss at home? Like I don't know. Uh, I have been calling Oregon a win since preseason. Um, you know, the one loss I had was Washington, which we got a win out of. I think, yeah, you could say that one was, you know, somewhat fortunate. But I don't really see these as lucky wins. A lucky win is when Washington State misses the point after. A lucky win is when Texas drops the ball before going into the end zone. You know, I'm hinting at some things from a previous era. Um, you know, I, so let's go through it. Like, we have Arizona State. I think we win uh, at home to go 5-0, and which is nuts. <laughs> So it's kind of crazy looking at the schedule because you start to get into not you get you get out of cloud nine wins and into cloud eleven wins. Oh my goodness, we're not no 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 it's, no. I'm just saying there's not a single game on there like because I called Oregon the win. I think that you could push back on that one and say that's going to be a really tough game. And if you call it a loss, it makes a lot more sense. But I've been saying Oregon, we're going to beat Oregon in Austin from the get go, and I'm not going back on it now. And I, so I say, like, I think we'll beat Arizona State. I've been calling Oregon to win. I think we beat Oregon State. Well, Utah might be a loss. I think that's definitely one that I think will, you know, will be have a hard time winning. Washington State at home, when we absolutely smashed them the last time they came to Berkeley. And then you have USC, which you know, sort of up and down. So maybe you call that a loss just to keep yourself sane. And then you have Stanford, which is you know lost three times in a row, in a row for like. I think maybe the first time in Shaw's coaching tenure there. And then you have UCLA that like who even knows what's going on with Chip Kelly. So it's just sort of, there's not a single, there's like get, starting to become fewer and fewer games left on the schedule where like a, we're a true underdog. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not going to come out here and like just bump up my wins. I think it's hard to bump up your wins above eight regular season. So, you know, if we start to look at this, yeah, maybe it's a loss in Oregon. Um, I'm not calling it a loss at Oregon. Let's just say maybe it does happen. So your losses are Oregon, Utah, and then you choose between Washington State, SC, Stanford, or UCLA. I don't think we're going to lose against UCLA again. Um, I do think we're going to beat Stanford. And then so maybe you lose USC and Washington State. So you lose three games in a row after, you know, or yeah, three games in a row with Oregon State sandwiched in that. So you lose three of four, which just doesn't seem that realistic with this team. Uh, so things start to get pretty crazy. Arizona State's a big game. You go five and zero. It's there's a lot more on the table for this team if you go five and zero right now than where we're at, and it's just sort of wild to even think about. It, it's just 
for me when I'm looking at the schedule, I'm I'm thinking, okay, there there are surefire wins. Like Oregon State, I think is a surefire win. There are capable wins, uh, like the Washington State, the USC, the Stanford, and the UCLA. And Arizona State. Arizona State, yeah, Arizona State are capable wins, yeah. Uh, but there's not there's not more than one definitive like we should be winning this game outside of Oregon State, and that's what scares me about this schedule. Is sure I, we can look on the bright side and say like we drubbed Washington State here and they got destroyed by UCLA. Um, USC could be a different team every week, so we don't just don't know which team we're going to get there. Stanford looks like crap this year, so there's that. UCLA also was 0-3 until they miraculously pulled off the craziest uh, comeback I'd, I'd seen ever. Ever. Um, so that's the thing, right? Like, I can argue it the opposite way for all of this. Like, I'm just looking at, at Utah. Like, okay, yeah, Utah, I think Utah's a loss there. But then you look at Washington State, and it's like, okay, which team are we going to get? The, the team that was – scoring like crazy and stopping opponents from scoring the first three weeks? Or are we going to get the team that we play, that played against UCLA? SC, are we going to get the team that played against Stanford? Or are we going to get the team that played against Fresno State? Like, and, um, and then Stanford is just, yeah, there's, I don't think there's a question there. I think, I think that's a win at this point. And then UCLA, it's like, is, did they turn the corner? Like is, was what they did at Washington State, like what they're going to be able to do now, like just offense scored left and right in, in quick succession. And that's what, that's what kind of scares me is because we have these teams that are question marks, but we have them so late in the season that we just don't know what they're going to be like towards the end. Um, But yeah, that's why, I mean, Nick was talking about this all over Twitter and, and was just, there doesn't like the expectation now on the season has been raised weirdly just after four games. Most fans have, have upped their expectation. The average fan, of course, guys like us who have who who like report and do all these things on the team, like I think most of us have stayed the course either at seven or eight, or in your case, nine wins. Um, a so plus we're just ball. a plus bowl, a plus bowl, yeah. So we're we're basically sitting pat, but for the average fan, it's like wow, we're ranked fifteenth. Wow, we're four zero. Wow, we haven't lost a game, and we beat number thirteen Washington in Washington. Like, there's a lot of more expectation there. But looking – and the expectation now is, are we going to be able to compete for the Pac-12 North? Not the Pac-12 championship, but are we going to be able to somehow push um, and run the table to get into that conversation somehow? The thing is, I think we can take the Arizona State loss if we were to lose on Friday. I think that if, if that's the goal, right, if that's the goal is competing for a Pac-12 North share or – you know, just being able to to compete to win the Pac-12 North. The Arizona State Arizona Arizona State game we could take as a loss. We can't lose the Oregon game um, if if we want to do that. I mean, that's the big question mark. Is I don't want to look ahead too far, which is I mean, it's not even too far. It's only two weeks ahead, but that Oregon game, like I think, determines our season in terms of what we're aiming for. Not this Arizona State game, in my opinion, uh, because. The moment we win that Oregon game, we have wins against probably the two teams um, you're hoping to beat and run the table at to get to the Pac-12 North title. And if it were ever to end in a in a tie, you have those wins over those two schools to get there. And so that's the win I think we need if we're going to do that. Um, the rest of the schedule, of course, I mean, we need to – win out or get close but yeah i i'm i'm gonna stand pat by my eight win regular season too did i say eight wins or seven wins but somewhere right around there i think i think we stay um i think we sweep the washington schools which is what i said i don't think we're gonna clear all three california schools i think we'll <laughs> losing one of the three it'd be crazy that would be nuts yeah but that's where I'm at. Um, I guess we'll move on to an, another question from there uh, that bleeds into this. Is that someone asks how many how many wins will win the Pac-12 overall? Yeah, like I guess I guess they're asking from our perspective, which is you have to be able to win the North 
to get to the Pac-12 championship game, right? So, what ten and two? I think Oregon's out ten and two. Yeah, ten uh, and two. That ten and two means you're expecting Oregon and Washington and Washington State to lose at least one more game each. Yeah, I am. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. I could see them cannibalizing themselves. Like I could see Oregon playing Washington and then losing, and then. Like just the three of them eating each other up, right? Oregon beats Washington State, Washington beats Washington State, and Washington State beats Oregon. And yeah. just there there's the one losses each, which easily could happen. But yeah, I think yeah, ten and two is probably right. You get to that number and then it's based on just odds and what happened with other teams. Yeah. I mean Oregon's got after us, they go uh Colorado. At home, uh, Washington on the road, and then Washington State at home, and then USC on the road. They're not going to win all those games. There's no way. That Colorado game actually could be a trap game for them because Colorado surprisingly played well against teams that are way above their weight class. Yep, for sure. And then you have Washington on the road, and then even uh, SC on the road. And I mean, yeah, I think uh, I think or I could see Oregon struggling with that schedule. Um, and then, you know, Utah, the big, the big one was Utah losing. So that's sort of what kind of throws, that's why I say 10 and two. So I think 10 and two, let's stick with that. Yeah. I mean, with Utah's loss though, it doesn't really hurt or help us in any way because they'd have to come to the South anyways. Um, to win the Pac-12, you need to get to the Pac-12 championship game and then win the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah. So we, yeah, but Utah losing definitely, definitely throws a wrench into everyone's plans. Big time. Big Including time. like Lee Corso, who I think had them going to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest wrench that it throws it into is college football playoff representation, right? Last hope is either us or Oregon at this point. <laughs> Depending on how the rest of the season goes. At least at least right now, we're one of the last hopes. If Utah runs the table, they'll be back. Same thing with Washington. If they run the table, they'll be back. Especially if we're this good. Then Washington looks better. Yeah. And it's an early game and you know, all those excuses start to come in. It's we got a lot of football left. So yep. it's tough to say that I, I just don't know. Like when people are like, Oh, Pac is eliminated again, except for Calzers and yeah, I don't know. You know, you don't know until you play out, you know, the next half the next four games. You don't. Um, here's another question. Uh this goes back to I guess the there's two questions that, that kind of go back to the old miss game, and then there's a couple questions about um this upcoming week. So we'll, we'll move on to that and then pretty much close it out there. But here we go. Are you confident in Garbers as a starter? Or do you want to see more consistency? I, I think this one was like, really, I saw this. I think this is a really good question, but I also think it's actually pretty easy. Um, like for me, it's, it's obvious that we need to see more consistency out of him. Like to look at one game and, and then kind of say, Hey, we made it. I just sort of feel like that's oh 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 no. <laughs> so ultimately, I don't think you can say that you know it's a given, but I this is without a doubt and without question a huge building block in a lot of positive momentum, um, because we saw something that clearly all the coaches saw and have been seeing for a long time. And by the way, the one pick that he threw in the old Miss game it was a it's a totally fine error to make. I mean, he just didn't see there was like, that was a tough throw. There's like three guys there. He didn't see one of them. Guy made a nice play on the ball. And I loved Wilcox. Cause you just saw him on the sideline, like pushing his hands out. Like it's okay. It's okay. And I'm so happy. He threw the pick and then recovered after rather than going like four touchdowns and no interceptions because of the fact that we know that there's that history. So to have the turnover and go through that emotion and have the coaches give you the backing, huge, huge positive. Yeah, and it was all about how he came back after the interception, right? And he basically didn't lose a step. He didn't lose any confidence. Um, the dude came out and just started throwing again like nothing happened. And that's the thing I wanted to see is when he was hit with adversity over the last three games at least, it seemed like it would just sulk and sulk and sulk more. Uh, not that like he was sulking, like, you know, just on the sidelines, like all sad face. And that's not what I mean by the sulk. It's he, he seemed to be getting a little bit more in like inferiority complex of when he was on the field, like 
Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? But then weirdly he comes out on fire in this game and has that interception. And then he comes back and with just a fire in his eyes, just stays aggressive again and was pinpoint on his decision-making. And I just hope that this carries going into conference play. Maybe, but I mean, there's two ways this this performance from Garbers ends. It's either one, it's a turning point in his Cal career, or two, it's just a flash in the pan. Like it's it's either one of those. I'm hoping it's the the turning point in his career because that changes the entire trajectory of the season of next year and the following year. And it just changes the expectation that we're going to have on this team. If he comes out against Arizona State and he tosses four touchdowns again and he with one reception and leads us to, to a win, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Like, we're we're going to be looking far beyond just uh, trying to win the Pac or compete for the Pac-12 North. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Another question here. Are you any less concerned about facing ASU – or actually, sorry, there's one more question about Ole Miss. How concerned should we be about the injury star defense? And did the offensive game plan against Ole Miss change your opinions about our potential on that side of the ball? I think the second part of that question is actually a really good one. You know, I know, I, but I also kind of feel like we covered it too with with Baldwin. And uh, I think the biggest thing was we saw the receivers in a way that we didn't see last year. And so, um, I mean, there's this – the other side of the Ole Miss game is like the disappe- the running game. Um you know, was an issue. And so there's sort of a, a question within something that we saw. So you get to see the receivers, the passing game wakes up and then the running game disappears. Give me a complete game against a Pac-12 type, you know, type opponent. And, uh, and then we can start buying in fully, but we're super excited. And uh, I, I, I'm totally, I totally agree with that. So I think I, with, I totally agree with the sentiment that the, you know, the offense like put it together in a way that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, and I think we're going to see that at the at the Arizona State game because now Arizona State's going to look at this and go, look, look, Old Miss basically said you're going to have to beat us with the pass, and we're going to shut down your run game. We beat them with the pass. Arizona State now has the game plan going. Okay, we can't force them. We can't try and make them into a one dimensional team. Clearly, they're able to do it. So they're gonna they're gonna mix and match um, and try and compete with us on both sides or both avenues of attacking and so if the bears can come out and you know run the ball well and pass the ball well regardless of if we're closing out drives uh, with touchdowns or not if we can maintain time of possession and get points on every drive even without the touchdowns i think that's a good good stepping forward like little uh benchmark that we can place that maybe they're putting it together where we were a run-heavy team the first three games, and we got our passing game now, and we're slowly balancing it out as the season progresses. Um, and then the first part about how concerned should we be about the injuries to our defense? Not really, um, in my opinion, just because everyone practiced, as we said. Everyone was suited up. No one was lost to season-long injuries other than Chinadu. Um, and, you know, that's as long as our starters aren't getting injured, I think that's the, that's the big thing. And even if they are, as long as they're not season-long injuries – there's enough good depth at all the positions now, in my opinion, that can kind of hold up um, until those guys are back. I think I have a little bit more concern than you, but I agree with everything you said. As you easily can. Easily can. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I guess the last thing I want to talk about before we close is, was that third down a touchdown or not? I mean, my answer to this is really easy. It wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't definitive. And any angle I've seen from the Ole Miss fan base has been horrible in trying to prove (laughs) that point. And the two sideline angles I've seen have been definitive that the ball, you know, wasn't clearly beyond the plane. Um, But I do think it should have been reviewed. And I think that's, you know, I wrote this long thing about how the Pac-12 refs have – you know, this has been something that you and I have been railing against for a long time now. And we had a probably more egregious non-touchdown call in the Washington game when Chris Brown Jr. went into the end zone and they didn't call it a touchdown. And that was more obvious than this one. 
Um, but it was also another case of where they don't have the right sideline angle, right? The Chris Brown play, same thing. Didn't have the sideline pylon. Like, get cameras on that. Like, this is ridiculous. It's 2019. How do you not have every single angle covering the end zone? It's mind-blowing to me that you don't have those angles. Um, so, yes, it should have been reviewed. You shouldn't have to rely on a view because you are bad with timeouts. Uh, and that game should have never been in that position anyways. And I think uh, I was, you know, not thrilled to see it be there, but at least the Cal defense will will learn from that and, um, you know, not soften up as, as much as they did. I, I just think it was – it's beyond my – wildest imagination that that game sort of ended the way it did given where it was at you know being up 15 with like you know uh, i swear it was like even less than 15 minutes in in the game so what about you i'm totally on the same boat it should have i think it should have been reviewed the pac-12 refs basically so the timeline was they snapped the third third down play with 18 seconds left. Then they called them down at the one. They placed the ball. Fourth down place was clocked at 10 seconds. And basically, Matt Luke, after he had burned that touch that timeout after that punt, and weird. Okay, this was the weird, the weirdest play calls for me is that on first and goal they ran, on second and goal they ran without timeouts, and they just ran up the middle. Granted, they got the yards, and then third down they scramble, and they get that they get that throw that they don't call a touchdown. I think there's a case to be made that maybe um, the ball did cross the plane, but the weird thing is, is he tucked the ball into his body, and his back was turned to the side judge. So the side judge has no view of where the ball is when he goes down. He can only assume that the ball is basically like right where his armpit is or where he caught the ball and where he caught the ball was on the one yard line. They placed him down. What should have happened was the PAC 12 ref should have immediately called down and said, this is under review because there were only 10 seconds left on the clock. Matt Luke, on the other hand, has a decision to make here. It's either you're taking a gamble, right? You're on your fourth down with 10 seconds left. The clock is ticking. You have no timeouts. Do you risk sitting there hoping that the refs go into review and give you the 10 seconds back? Or do you get the playoff and try and get that touchdown um, and then try and get the extra point conversion? Um, I Because you do get the extra point time after the, the clock runs out if you are if you score the touchdown. So that's the gamble he sh- he needed to make. He decided to run with it. The moment he snapped the ball on fourth down with 10 seconds left, the review opportunity went out the window. Like right. you, can't, you can't complain that they didn't review it if you didn't give the refs enough time to call down and ask for it to be reviewed. You can't retroactively go after that's, – that's the whole thing about getting the, the snap off, you know, if it's not in your favor, to, go, to move on to the next play, right? Because they can't retroactively go back two plays. So ultimately, this comes down to to Matt Luke's inability to manage the clock for Old Miss. And if I'm Old Miss, of course I'm infuriated that they didn't call that a, a touchdown um, on third down. But there's also no definitive angle that says that the ball crossed the plane. So even on review, I don't think it would have. They would have said the play the 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 play stands as called at, or is confirmed. They would have probably said stands. Because there's no, yeah, there's zero angles that show that the ball clearly crossed the plane. Like if you know how camera angles work, like if you're looking from the 30 yard line at the goal line and you see the ball, you can't tell me that the ball is crossing the plane for sure or not unless you're standing literally on the goal line and seeing the tip break the plane of the end zone. And yeah, so that's that's where I'm at. But I'm I'm in full agreement. They should have called it down immediately and they should have made it a review because if you're watching the game as an official, you have to understand that this is such an important call in the game and they just decided to do nothing about it. They just kind of let the time run out. Yeah. I mean, I would be upset if it was the, if it happened to Cal. So I understand why everyone's upset, but yeah. uh, at the same time, I, I don't, what I don't understand is like the conspiracy theories or anything like that. Doctored, doctored yeah. videos and photos. Guys, the Pac-12 refs are bad. This isn't news. 
join us in the you know long march against our subpar officiating larry scott did a deep dive into the pac-12 refs this offseason and claimed that they were as high caliber as the nfl we all know that's not true you know michigan state fans ole miss fans cal fans and every other team in the pac-12 can all rally with you with you all against you know the pac-12 officiating and hoping that it'll get better we're we're aligned on that ultimately i don't think the game would have played out any other way um you know, I, I expect Cal to win. And hopefully we don't have to deal with any more of these last-minute finishes. Oh, but you know we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. We got Pac-12 after dark after all. Uh, yeah. All right, so that wraps it up for us here. Um, we have a Friday night game, 7.30 against Arizona. I cannot emphasize enough, if you're in the Bay Area, please come out and show out for these guys. They, I think they deserve – They, I think they easily deserve – a full home crowd um especially it being a 7 30 game where everyone's able to make it granted it's kind of tough if you work in the bay area with traffic and try to make it to berkeley by 7 30 it's kind of difficult but if you're able i mean it sounds like there's going to be a decent crowd mike silver sounds like he's going to be there bryce treg sounds like he's going to be there um it it's sounding like it's starting to sound like it's going to be quite a crowd come out support this team and uh yeah, let's get let's get a sellout at Memorial. It'd be awesome. All right, um, and to to wrap up, can I get your prediction for the Arizona State game? Twenty-eight to. <laughs> Wait, I can't do that. Twenty-eight seventeen, Cal. Ooh, I'm gonna say we finally break the thirty-point margin. We get to thirty. Thirty-four. To twenty-two. Does that work? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. 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 All right. That wraps it up for us from here on the Golden Blogs podcast, the Bearcast. You can find us on Twitter at CGB Bearcast. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Eleven HWNG. You can find Andy at Andy J Beast Mode. And if you're already listening to us, great. But if you're listening to us on SoundCloud, we are also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. So please be sure to like, subscribe, do all those things, share us, and and all that good stuff. I don't know what other things people do with these links these days, but it'd help us out a lot. And of course, if you leave us a comment, I believe the only comment leaving possibility is on Apple Podcasts. But if you do, Annie will read it live on the air. I think our last comment came in 2017. So it's been a while since someone's commented about our podcast, but we would, uh, we'd graciously ask if you leave us a nice comment. Definitely leave a, leave a review for sure. And come out to the game on Friday. And that's it. And as always, go bears, go bears. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.